Best Doing, Episode 131. Ari talks with John T. Mayer of Lemonly. Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast. Less Doing, more living, more living, more living, more living. Hi, I'm Ari Mizell, and this is the Art of Less Doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Hey, it's Ari Mizell. Welcome to the Less Doing, More Living podcast. Nine years ago, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, a little-known, extremely painful, and seemingly incurable disease, which forced me to go down a long road a radical transformation so that I could reduce stress and win back a normal life for me and my family. While extremely painful, Crohn's was the best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me to innovate and create the less doing more living system, which I used to govern my life. Then I was given the gift of starting to teach this system to other people. And over time, I was able to help more and more people through a video course, this podcast, and the less doing more living book. Now I have the privilege of working with some of the world's top business minds, including Dean Jackson, Joe Polish, Dave Asprey, and Jordan Harbinger, who have all decided to join me for the first annual Less Doing Live Summit that I'm holding in New York City from May 1st through 3rd. To get more information on the Less Doing Live Summit, you can go to the URL lessdoinglive.com, or you can also find links to the event on our main site, lessdoing.com. Now enjoy today's podcast, and if you listen to the end of the show, I am going to give you more information on this event, as well as a way you can earn a free copy of Go. my book, Less Doing, More Living. Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast, episode 131 with John T. Meyer of Lemonly. How you doing, Felix? Hey, doing great, mate. How you doing? I am good. I'm good. Um, I'm fired up right now because I think that my nootropics have kicked in for the morning. <laughs> I, Does it take a while? Um, it takes, it's funny, you know, so we, Felix and I just recorded another episode, which takes us about a half an hour usually. And caffeine, yeah, I think caffeine takes usually about 20, 30 minutes to kick in for me. And, uh, this particular nootropic does have caffeine in it. It's the true brain liquid nootropic, but, um, I, I'm on a really good, I feel like I'm on a kind of good routine right now because I've been working out every day at night, which is, something, oh, yeah. which is new for me. And that's been really good. Um, what time of I'm, night do you work out by the way? Usually between seventh. And eight. So once you've put the kids kids to bed, exactly, exactly. Okay. So kids are asleep and before dinner. No. So this is interesting for me too because it took one of the benefits of Ironman training mm-hmm. is that I can eat while exercising. Not that that's what I recommend doing, but you know, I, I I I had to learn to eat so much like on the bike while I was running, like all this stuff that I oh, can wow. I can eat and go work out. Uh, I don't like to do that i don't recommend it per se but i've also been eating dinner significantly earlier than i used than i usually do um we're in a pattern right now where i feel like i go out to dinner maybe two sometimes three now like two nights a week with friends or with with anna and another couple or something like that so and those nights of course we're you know i'm gonna eat at like eight or nine o'clock when you know being social but generally speaking mm-hmm. i've been i've been eating dinner around like six o'clock um, and I, I have a super, super high fat meal and I feel really good and I, I, I don't get hungry later on. So by the time I go work out, you know, an hour, an hour and a half later, I'm, I'm pretty much digested. Wow. And, uh, that's but, but been working so, so, so well. So, but, so what are you eating though as you're working out? 
Oh no, 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 I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not eating. I'm not eating while I'm working out. But I am. I'm saying. Whereas normally you might have to wait two to three hours to really digest. I don't have to do that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. That's very productive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Yeah. Anyway, I'd like to start with your links actually. So you got okay. a couple, uh, but uh, yeah, why don't you go ahead and get, you started off. Okay, sure. Well, look on the, um, on the productivity front, uh, let's, I discovered there's this Android app. I'm afraid it's only an Android app, which is annoying because I'm not using an Android, uh, called Quality Time. And yeah. this one will discover your smartphone habits and it will you know, be able to see what apps you're using and when you're using them and try to you know, set limits, have you set limits on what you do. And I mean, we all know that you know, a sort of phone addiction is, is an increasing problem. And, um, and I think this kind of app could could help with that i can't haven't used it so i can't give any review but um it's worth checking out if you're an android user well and it's a uh it's also got an ifttt plugin or a channel so for instance if you're overusing your phone oh. you can have it alert you you know or you can have it post to facebook like i've been using my phone for four hours today or something like that oh that's a good idea yeah to humiliate you on Facebook as a way to, uh, you know what, it works. To, I mean, you ask yeah, the guy, ask the guys from uh, from Pavlock, yeah, and that kind of thing does work. Oh wow, yeah, no, I believe it. So okay, yeah, that's a great one. It's like rescue time cool. for your phone. Yeah, right, right. Um, another one is well, you heard about this uh, herbal supplements or lack of herbal supplements scandal. Um, yeah. It's a New York Times article. And uh, it's basically claiming that a lot of herbal supplements from not major, claiming, proving, not, proving. Sorry, proving, proving. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, that you know, from major uh, retailers like Walmart, Walgreens, Target, and GNC, showed that roughly four out of five of the products that they had on their list contained none of the herbs listed mm-hmm. on the labels. And when Felix says none, it's literally zero. Like there yeah. is none of like the ginkgo so, biloba or any of that stuff. Yeah, in so these like things. ginkgo biloba, no ginkgo biloba found, but it did have garlic, rice, spruce, and asparagus. Great. St. John's wort, no John's wort found. Ginseng, no ginseng. Garlic, did contain garlic. Echinacea, no echinacea. And it goes on. Um, and it seems to be, I mean, it does seem that they're all buying from the same factory because it's the same, it's the same results for each, um, pretty much from each retailer. Anyway. Yeah. So, you know, part of the, the, yeah, absolutely. And part of the problem here is that there really is no official regulation of supplements. Like pretty much anybody can make a supplement, put whatever they want in it, call it whatever they want. And there's not too much regulation on that. So uh, fortunately, there actually is, there does exist a standard that's a voluntary thing and it's called uh, NSF. So okay. it, the, the um, I forgot what it actually stands for, but it's the, the, it's NSF International and it's a voluntary certification process. It's very expensive and very difficult to achieve. So you actually mm-hmm. don't find a huge amount of supplements that actually meet that requirement. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying that if it doesn't meet NSF that you shouldn't use it, but if it does have an NSF certification, you can be pretty sure then that it's created the way that it said it has in it what it says it has in it and and whatnot. But these were these were crazy well, results. Well, that's good to know. What, what's the, how, how do you know about if it's NSF certified? You can go to their website actually and get a list because again, it's not a very long list. 
Oh, okay. Well, look, I'm going to put that in the show notes. So you can put that NSF link in there. Okay. Okay, cool. That would be good because I'm sure that would be... We'll have, we'll have Mike throw that in. <laughs> okay. I've put it at the bottom of the show notes. To, awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so that was... Um, that was that. Oh, and I mean, just on that note, actually, that's what I was going to say, is I think this... The, I, re- I remember reading an article a while back that was saying that basically a lot of a lot of foods are actually like this. And like you're saying, there's there's very little, um, you know, uh, what's the word? Um, regulation. Regulation, thank you. And like, like a lot of lemon juices that were, you know, that was sold actually, you know, it said organic real lemon juice and they had no organic lemon juice in it at all. It's something else or it's just not organic or whatever. But the one sort of common denominator, the one thing that you can really trust is that is the price. If it's organic lemon juice or whatever it is, um, and it's too too cheap, then it's probably too good to be true. And I think that's worth worth keeping in mind. Yeah, that's a good point. And you know, actually, yeah. you, there are some. You know, not not just saying like something that's more expensive is better, but there definitely are several examples where you can tell if something is a quality product or not based on how much it's charged for. Because how much they charge for it, because you really uh, there's certain things that you just can't do for a certain price point unless you're yeah. cutting corners yeah so, i mean sure there are economies of scale but then there's exactly a, there's a price point so yeah you there yeah i'm um, absolutely oh, okay good um sorry um okay let's and the other thing i found was the lunar sleep tracking mattress well we talked about that last week oh we did oh oh well Remember the Kickstarter campaign we were talking about? Oh, Uh, I know. You know what? I talked about this with one of our guest co-hosts. That's why. Oh, I think Uh, so. Yeah, because I probably popped. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really cool. So I can't wait to see that. Actually, I'd I'd love to get it. But um, is is it an actual mattress or is it? No, it's a mattress um, cover. It's a mattress cover, right? Yeah, Yeah, I thought so. Really cool. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, Felix, for sharing those. No problem. You go ahead, man. Okay. So the first one is a Kickstarter campaign uh, called Pill Pots. And I, so one of the things I spoke about when I did our uh, boot camp call last week, which we were talking about customization, is I was talking about EDC, which stands for everyday carry. I don't know if you have you seen that term thrown around, everyday carry. Yeah, I have heard that. Yes. So I, I'm a, I, as you know, you know, I haven't carried a wallet in three years. I have my iPhone with a case that holds my three credit cards, mm-hmm. and uh, I carry a a, a knife. And my keychain has a couple tools on it, including a pen. So, a folding knife, right? Oh, yeah, it's, it's a folding <laughs> knife. Well, actually, it's very, very slick. What it is is it's made by Gerber. And all, mm-hmm. it, all it is is a really, really minimal, elegant holder for a utility blade, just like you would see on a construction site. Oh, okay, okay. So it's it's really easy to replace the blade when it gets dull. And it's just very, I just clip it on my pants and that's kind of it. So. Oh, well, I'm going to look for that. Yeah, it's it's uh, really, I love it. Yeah, I'm always, uh, yeah, my wife always wants me to have a knife handy, ready to, you know, cut open a packet or something. So, yeah. Cool. Sorry, carry yeah. on. So anyway, so pill pots, <laughs> pill pots is, it's it's really basically a little thing, but it's these, these metal cylinders with little compartments and it's about the size of like a, like a, a D battery, I'd say, or maybe even a C battery. And mm-hmm. Uh, it's like one of them has three little compartments that can hold pills for one thing, but it can also hold uh, chaps, uh, 
not chapstick. What's uh, like Aquaphor or you know Vaseline? Or, or anything, yeah, anything like matches, really. Or it was one of the examples. Matches, money, um, gum. You know, uh, like pretty much anything you can put. in they're waterproof. They're they're pretty much you can't you can't beat them up at all. They're titanium, and it's just a really effective way, I think, to carry certain things that you might want to have with you. Whether it's you know it, it might be medicine, maybe you want to just have some breath mints or something with you. But it, it's I think it's a really efficient way to carry a lot of extra stuff without having to take up much space. Yeah. No, it's really clever. I mean, the inspiration for this was that the um that the person was worried about the their five year old son getting into their pack of headache pills and thinking they're, you know, that they're candy. Um and I'm wondering, but the one thing I didn't see, but although it must be the case is is how what security system they sort of set up on this you know like the a tamper proof or whatever it's not tamper proof but you know a child proof lock on it um so i'm curious about that but i imagine you can just screw them really tight and make it harder for a child to open i don't know yeah um, i think if you screw it tight did enough, you see anything they, about that i'm pretty sure if you screwed it tight enough they wouldn't be able to open it because it has like the rubber gasp and everything but it does seem like a very impressive campaign because they were they needed seven thousand dollars and they're they're up to eighty seven thousand dollars. So, yeah, I mean, machining right? these things out of titanium is is a kind of it's a no easy task, and they're really well made, and you know they have to be. It's it's one of those uh, what they call like precision machining, you know, because it has to be right on top. Wow, yeah, yeah, they look really cool as well. They look very useful. I like it. So All right. okay. All right. So then the next one is called. Uh, it's a it's a device called Eero, and this is a really badly needed thing that I'm kind of surprised nobody has done in this fashion before. But essentially, what this yeah. is is it it's it's a new kind of Wi-Fi extender. So the the tagline is "Blanket your home in fast, reliable Wi-Fi." And if anybody has like the Sonos system, like the you know the the sound system, it's kind of like that. So you have like a base, and then you have a couple other nodes that you can put yeah. around the house. And somehow it creates a very effective, very simple, and uh, automatically like adjusting mesh network for your home. So this is this applies for apartments, for the average house, and for large houses as well. So rather than having to have like in in my house right now, we have two routers, and you know you, you and I have talked. About, you actually helped me with this, but we had to put them on different channels, and I have. Mm-hmm. It, it was really annoying, actually, and it, it's still not the perfect system because sometimes when you go out of one room, it's trying to connect to the old Wi-Fi in the in that first room, and it, it it's not the, a perfect system. Yeah, the the thing that I that I was impressed with with this is that firstly, well, first of all, I just want to say, it, it just I'm amazed that no one else has come up with this except for apple they do claim to have this with their with their airport network is that you can buy numerous ones and add on but apparently doesn't work that great um and that people have tend to have problems working with it and i didn't i i had problems with that set up in my parents old house yeah but that was a while back and i think this is great that someone's finally come out with a a, a system for you know for houses because what i can tell is that most routers are basically made for a for a you know mid-sized apartment right but as soon as you get into you know a place with you know spread out um it you know the wi-fi signal can drop off incredibly quickly 
Um, and I think this is really cool. But the thing I really like about this is that it claims to be very, that it sort of fixes itself. Right, and exactly. And has an app. And that, because I mean, I'm extremely techy and I can go in and I can configure a router um, in, you know, complex ways and have it do all sorts of things. But, um, you know, take my father-in-law, for example, um, you know, forget it. He, it's, but this, he might be able to because it, it has an app to, to help you set it up. And I think that's, that's a huge feature. Yeah, everything's better when it has an app. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, right, yeah. It seems so, to be like self-fixing and exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Self-fixing. My parents as well. Yeah. Um, okay, so now there's another uh, app called. Or it's a it's a web service and an app called Enquos, I think, or Enquos, maybe. En- yeah, <laughs> Enquos. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's one of many in a long line of integrated fitness and health trackers, but this one really seems very elegant. So it'll track nutrition, fitness, and then wellness. So nutrition is obvious, fitness is obvious. Wellness is like mood, um, blood pressure, glucose, if you have that kind of thing, and it mm-hmm. inter- and it integrates all of these things into a really really great tracking system. Um, so there's other ones that have tried that have done this and they do it okay but this one looks really really good to me the the whole way it's laid out it helps with meal planning Um, you can optimize your fitness in terms of activity tracking and start to correlate things it's just it's one of the most comprehensive ones I've ever seen Mm -hmm. yeah it does look it does look good I mean I haven't uh, gotten into like meal tracking and stuff like that but um but yeah, I'd be interested to see how this one, um, how easy it makes it. Because yeah, I imagine sure. that's a tedious process. Yes, it is. Um, okay, yeah. so there was an article on firstround.com called The Brain Hacks Top Founders Use to Get the Job Done. And it, it, a lot of this stuff really jives very well with less doing principles. And I just, I like when they kind of put put my what I believe into sort of other words. But there was a couple things that they pointed out that I really liked. One of them was they call it filling your buckets. And it was basically saying man, man, maintaining and using energy wisely might seem like an obvious advice, but it's hardly ever heated. Um, and basically they were saying you, you should visualize three types of energy as buckets that need to be filled. So the first one is physical energy. So mm-hmm. that's basically you know f- sleep and nutrition and probably exercise as well. The second one is emotional energy. That's how you're feeling at a given moment, whether it's excited or anxious or uh, you know whatever whatever else might be feeling. And then the third one is mental energy, which is the highest order of energy. And basically, you can only have that when the other two are sort of in line. Hmm. So if you look at things that you do as either adding or subtracting from those three buckets of energy, it's, a, it's an interesting way to visualize the things that you do. And, and sort of what you do with your time. There, there are a bunch of other really cool ones in here, but one of the ones that I thought was really cool, uh, which we've recommended before too, is that people said that it's important to have people set a timer on their phones to remind them to take a breather. And we've talked mm. about that many times. Felix is a big fan of the Pomodoro technique. Uh, it's oh just, my uh, God. I just, yeah. It's so great. Everyone check out the Pomodoro technique. You can apply it to anything it's like the best thing Ari's taught me and it's it's just changed my productivity in the biggest way carry on (laughs) no not at all and then another one too which i something i'm actually working on myself right now which they said learning emotional intelligence 
So uh, the, the assumed definition is social savvy, but it's really a strategic approach to managing emotions that makes the biggest difference. And so basically there's all these different emotions and also emotional intelligence is really recognizing those emotions in yourself as well as recognizing them in others. And the the top of the list is power, inspiration, knowledge, love, joy, flow, clarity, and focus. And the bottom of the list is sadness, powerlessness, and despair. And then there's a whole bunch of things in between there. And basically uh, this goes back to the emotional energy bucket and sort of how you approach things and, and just the, the role that emotions do play in a lot of how your day and your your week go. So, hmm. uh, and and that is a learnable skill, by the way. It's something that I, again I've really been focusing on for myself is is improving my emotional intelligence. So um, it's a really really great article. It's it's kind of long, but I really recommend people check this out. It's it's got some very very good actual advice in there. Um, oh, so this one yeah. you might like this, Felix. Uh, so theartofmanliness.com is a really great website. I've I've loved this website forever, um, and it, it it's okay. So it's called the Art of Manliness, but it's not like about being macho and stuff. It's really about being like a good man, you know, a good father, a good husband, a good friend, all that stuff. And it it just really good advice and good stuff in there. There's an article on here called the church the Churchill the Churchill yes. School of Adulthood. Yeah. So. The the tag or the the title is work like a slave, command like a king, create like a god, and yeah. I think that's that's a pretty I don't know eloquent way to put that. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good philosophy. I like it. Yeah. And one of the things it says Churchill is frequently pictured in the public imagination as a lackadaisical lie about staying up late, lounging in bed well into the morning, napping in the afternoon. He was in fact an unflagging workhorse. <laughs> really? I've never thought that, <laughs> but I, I'd be interested to know more about where well, that so, comes and that's from. Really, but know? see, I think that's funny because I never, I mean, not that I've spent a lot of time looking at Churchill's habits, but I, I never thought that either. Churchill always seemed to me to be one of the great leaders. Um, but I guess apparently that was his persona at the time is that people thought he was, you know, just sort of like, Chilling, but uh, they're saying that he basically was working all day and working on weekends and vacations and uh, all this stuff. So he he worked he worked his ass mm. off. Apparently, now I, I see there are some. Um, I haven't read this article yet, but I see that there's a whole load of other ones uh, related articles in the the Winston Winston Churchill School of Adulthood, and uh, so this is lesson number number seven. And there, you know, there. Are, well, six before at least, if not more. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it's a, it's a series that they've run here, and they're, it's a good series oh, cool. of articles. But the last one I wanted to mention uh, the, the did last you say that. I'm sorry. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> uh, but the the last part of this was he said, "Create like a god," yeah. and there's a picture of him painting, uh, yes. <laughs> and <laughs> with cigar in mouth. It's like yeah. Well, but the, but this is what I liked a lot, and I've recommended this as well. Is he said, "Change is the master key." A man can wear out a particular part of his mind by continually using it and tiring it. The tired parts of the mind can be rested and strengthened, not merely by rest, but by using other parts. So uh. as I've said many times, I think I've brought up this story of how I came up with a lot of the fundamental ideas of less doing while I was taking a welding class before Ben was born. Oh, really? You know, and I truly believe, and I recommend this to a lot of clients, that you 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 pick a skill or a hobby or something or something to learn or something to try that is very, very different from your normal state of affairs. Hmm. Yeah, that's I like that. Yeah. And I believe that it puts your mind in a place where you are more open and more able to learn and see new things. Yeah, it's true. So I really like that. 
by the way, I meant to mention this on our last recording, but you saw the picture of my Mark of the Queen, right? <laughs> yes, what was all that about? <laughs> so I meant to bring this up. So uh, on Friday night, I went with uh, Anna and two other couples to a show called Queen of the Night here in New York City. Oh, I've got to put, by the way, there's a, sorry, sorry, there was a hilarious review about, of the Queen of the Night show um, in the New York Times, and we've got to put that in the show notes, so carry on, I'm going to look for it right now. Okay, so Queen of the Night is basically, the best way to describe it is it's like Cirque du Soleil, and you're having dinner right in the middle of it all. Uh, It's very, very interactive, and it's... It's by the same people that created Sleep No More, which a lot of people are now familiar with as a show here in the city. And oh, when yeah. we, so we walked in and they took Anna and I into a little room underneath the stairs that, and they had us both sit on piles of newspaper. And it's like the whole thing is a set. And she introduces herself to us and she, she tells us that, you know, we're going to go on a scavenger hunt. So she gives me this list of five things to do. The first thing I had to do was I had to get a tray of food from one of the footmen and I had to serve it. So I go, I go up to this footman and he's he's got like sad clown makeup on, and I said I I need your tray, and he's like it's not full, you can't have my tray. So I was like <laughs> okay, so I went I found where the kitchen was, and I stood and waited, and the same guy came out with a full tray, and I was like I need your tray, <laughs> so he handed me the tray, and it was yeah. deviled eggs, and I walked around and I served food for about five minutes. Um, what just to, to anyone in the audience? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. just random people, That's random hilarious. people, wow. and. Uh, I, that was the first thing I had to find a butler and ask him. So, so there were five things. And so where this became an issue here with my, my wrist. And by the way, you can see this on Instagram. I have a, a cue sort of burned into my wrist that uh, was done by, well, so I'll tell you. So I had to, I had to ask a butler what the sexiest thing he'd ever seen at this particular venue was. So I found this butler and I asked him and he said, follow me. So he took me up these stairs to this like pulpit basically. And there was a sort of 1880s style little electrical, like electric therapy kind of thing. You might have seen them like, you know, the glass that with the electrical shock inside. You've, you've seen that, right? Um, you've seen them in like movies and like science fiction a lot of times. Like they used to be very popular in the 1800s, the, this like electrical therapy. Uh, oh, so okay. For the most part, it just tingles. Like it's not supposed to actually hurt. But okay. so he says to me, I need you to be very honest with me. What? From a scale of one to five, what do you think your pain tolerance is? And I said, four. Oh, yeah. So he said, okay, that's good to know. So he takes this thing out and he puts it on my hand and gives me this little shock. And it really actually did not hurt at all. I don't, I don't, I don't really react. So he's like, okay. So he then changes the head and puts something else on. And he's like, I'm, so by the way, I have my hand on this guy's chest. So he has me holding <laughs> it. It's just very weird. And he's wearing, he's a butler, but he's like wearing a halter top. It was very, very confusing. So anyway, okay. he says, he says, I'm going to give you the mark of the queen. I was like, okay. So he does now, he does it on my wrist and he basically draws a cue with electricity. And, you know, it's a minor burn essentially. So yeah. Did it hurt though? Uh, it hurt. It wasn't terrible. But so it looks like it hurt, judging by the picture. I mean, when you sent that, I was kind of horrified. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it wasn't pleasant, but it was also kind of like I was so rushed. I mean, I, I had such a rush going on from the whole experience anyway. So, oh, okay. Bit of alcohol probably helped. Yeah, right. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, then, so he's like, I think that you're more like a five. So I was like, okay. So he switches oh, wow. it out again. And then that one really 
that hurt. So basically what he did was I had to, he made me draw a cue on his chest with my finger. And every time I touched him, I guess he, we completed the loop and it really, it was a pretty heavy shock. Uh, But you did it on his chest. No, not not with the electrode, with my finger. So basically, oh, it was like I trace see. a cue, but by touching him, I was connecting, like I was closing the circuit. Oh, okay. I see. So I, I did see. that, and then uh, I, we got our prize, which was free entry to this other nightclub, actually, which is kind of fun. Oh. <laughs> um, but the show was amazing. And oh, and the other thing that was really fun was, so what they do is everyone is at tables, and they bring yeah. out the food, and it's very like, gala like you know so to our table they brought this this really beautiful suckling pig an entire roast suckling pig but then you see you see that at other tables they're getting short rib and another table got lobster and another table got something else so what i have to what you have to do is i cut off a leg of the the pig and i went over to a table with lobster and i was like can i trade you you know a pig leg for two lobsters and they said yes and so that's what you had to do you had to barter for other food (laughs) Really, so really the, cool. The, the, the whole thing, I, I, <clears throat> from what I can tell, it's all about putting you a little bit outside of your comfort zone with a bit of entertainment. Uh, I, w- so. I would say so. I would say yeah. so. Mm. Anyway, check out the review. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, I yeah. put it in the show notes just now. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay, yeah. so the, the last link that I have is from my favorite, Barking Up the Wrong Tree. And it says, a Navy SEAL explains eight secrets to grit and resilience. And I'm not going to read them all as usual. I'm just going to pick a couple that I really liked. One of them was to make it a game. So they're saying in in even really tough situations, you can try to make a game of things such as, in this case, the Navy SEALs were talking about how they make survival a game, you know, and said Uh, that one of the best ways to deal with stress is to see problems as challenges, not threats. Okay. And kids apparently tend to do better in school when they treat school like a game. And there's all sorts of game dynamics and game theory that goes into that, how we, you know, competition and trying to, you know, make points and whatever so that's it's an interesting way to approach something is that something seems really hard turn it into a game okay yeah um yeah, and then I like that philosophy that would apply to me very very well yeah and me as well actually uh and then the other one another one was celebrate small wins and i'm always talking about micro goals right yes yeah, so celebrating small wins is, is a huge part you know it's like when you're running the marathon it's like i just need to get to the next telephone pole or the next block uh, yeah you know when you're when you're writing a book you know just get to the next page okay now the next page and it, it also actually ties into the pomodoro technique you know where you're getting these sort of these micro goals yeah. along the way and you're you're getting these wins that you can focus on instead of yeah exactly failures yeah i always have the average speed leads to better than average results mantra in my head and it's um it's a very good one yeah absolutely yeah. all right well that was a very packed episode that was good stuff yeah so let's give ourselves a pat on the back yeah well there's a lot of information we just shared <laughs> well, so i enjoyed everybody it everybody enjoy yeah. that so, yeah uh, and cool. again i'll just remind people that if they are interested in supporting the show and they think that we should do this patreon campaign then please let us know yeah yeah absolutely oh man there's another thing i've got to put out there which is a shame the sound gecko service that reads that will transcribe. I mean, not transcribe, but put you know, put um, put an article into you know dictation as if, and it really does sound like a real person's reading it. It's closing down. Anyway, I'm gutted. So I'm sorry about it to everyone who I've recommended sound gecko to because um, it's no longer. But if you know of another another service that's as good, please let us know. Yeah, well, it it was a great service, and I, there has to be something that pops up. Yeah, exactly. That. It has to be like some 
some technology someone's developed that they're using. So, yeah. Anyway, it was just very cool. All right, right, man. We will um, see you guys next time and thank you for listening. All right. Okay. Bye. And now for feature interview. So now I'm speaking with John Meyer, who is CEO and co-founder of Lemonly. And John, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Hey, yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me, Ari. So I, I want to talk to you about Lemonly, but I also want to talk about a lot of personal stuff that you do in terms of productivity. So let's let's talk about Lemonly first. And and Lemonly is an infographic site, basically, right? Yeah, so we're we're a design shop. Um, yeah. We call ourselves a visual marketing firm. But yeah, our MO is infographics. And what we kind of do is help clients tell their story in a visual way. So infographics, videos, interactives. So I, I love infographics. I mean, they're very uh, on brand with what I do because I think that they provide a lot of information very quickly in a very digestible yep. way. So infographics have become extremely popular in general. And I don't know if that's because of people's lack of attention um, or because they've just gotten better. I mean, have you, I mean I'm sure you've seen that. Yeah, I kind of have three theories. I actually just gave a talk at a conference last week about this and, you know, why are they here? Because I, you know, for us as an owner of an infographic shop, we get a lot of, well, they're just a trend, right? They're a fad. They've jumped the shark. They're going to go away. But, you know, if you go to Google Trends and search the word infographics, they're as high as, as they've ever been here in 2015. Um, so I think there's three factors. I think it's, it's one, that attention span, as you see. I, a recent report just said we dropped below the goldfish in terms of attention span. So I don't know how we, <laughs> how we should feel about that. Eight seconds, I guess, is what a goldfish has. Um, you know, and then the other two are kind of this era of big data, right? So we have all this content and data. We're creating 2.5 quintillion bytes of data every day. You know, can't even fathom what that means. Um, but it's all around us, and that's great. And we have all these tools to track it and aggregate it. But then what do we do with it? How do we make sense of it? How do we use it to be productive? Like, I love that. My Fitbit tracks my steps every day. And that's awesome. But now make me recommendations so I can do better. Like, should I, should I be working somewhere else? Should I be walking to work? Should, you know, what type of things? Um, and visualizing that to me is exciting. And then I think the third factor is social media. So, you know, if you look at that trend for Google, Google Trends and the word infographic, it spikes almost right around 2010. You know, prior to that, they existed. I mean... I argue back to the you know cave paintings 40,000 years ago, or some people like to say like Napoleon's march into Moscow was the first infographic, uh, but they haven't really hit popularity or mass appeal until social media. And you see social getting more and more visual, Facebook news feeds getting bigger, Instagram, Pinterest, all that stuff. So when you start thinking about how you're going to lay out or design a infographic because they're, they're, they're so different. Like there's so many that are so different. How, how, how do you sort of approach that? Sure. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, there are products out there now that let you kind of, um, template and more mass produce. I've I've tried many times and it does not work for me. It's like, I just, I don't even know where to start. Exactly. Like sure. Budget's right. Um, but the deliverable seems to, I don't know, fall a little bit short, I guess. So, you know, we're a custom shop and, and we really start with the narrative. So we think, we tell you to think back to like high school when your, your English teacher was like, okay, you're writing a research paper. So what's the outline? You know, what's the thesis? What's the goal of that infographic? Three main points. And is there a conclusion or call to action, as we probably say more in the marketing world? 
Um, so we start with that like story narrative. We go to a, a brief, you know, one to two page document with the actual content. Then we do wireframe mood board, you know, really figuring out the wireframe, just what's the layout and the flow, where should everything go? You know, I, I always like to say we're great designers at Lemonly, but we also have to be really good editors. So are we telling the most concise story? You know, the big pet peeve of ours are those infographics that scroll and scroll and scroll forever. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm, I would say we've probably made a few of those at times at Lemonly where the client just wants more and more and, and you get to the end and you're like, ugh. <laughs> so, yeah, I think when I, we have an eight-step process and I can say we don't get to design until the sixth step. So there's a lot of groundwork and kind of um, foundation built for a good infographic. That's really interesting. Okay. So can you take us through what couple of steps are if they're not proprietary? No, absolutely. I, I can walk you through them all. Um, so we do inform first, which is kind of like I said, inform is, you know, are we on the same page between client and, and Lemonly? Or if it's an internal graphic between you and your team, you know, what is, what is it about? What's the goal? Who's the audience? Where's it going to live? Uh, second step is we gather all that data. So the problem sometimes is it comes in so many different forms, right? We have a CSV, you have an email, you have a PowerPoint. We've even gotten a handwritten letter, uh, you know, so we kind of have to normalize that to really put it together. So where is it all? Let's all get it in one place and kind of so we can look at it side by side. Step three, we actually uh, discover. So you're really looking at like what's interesting about my story. You know, here I recommend look for history, kind of change over time, consider comparing A versus B, if there are any outliers you notice. So like, and of course, you know, top 10 list, of course, that always works. That's magic online. But you know, what are you going to discover in your data that's compelling? So we're not just going to throw all the data in there because we have it. Um, so step four, we do wireframe, which if you've done anything on the web, you're familiar with that is just a, a black and white, you know, there's no designer style, but we actually lay out, we'll put a circle that says, you know, here's where an illustration will go, or here's where a pie chart will go. Um, but create that blueprint, blueprint roadmap. Mood board, if you're working with a big brand, you know, at Lemonly, we work with Marriott and Major League Baseball, United Nations, they have brand guidelines that we have to follow often. So you kind of, that's your color palette. But if, if you can allow the content to dictate the style, you can certainly have fun with it. That's what makes infographics compelling. Um, step six, we're finally designing. Uh, that's a hard one to like teach. You kind of either know how to design or not, but there's obviously a lot that goes in there, but that's our sixth step. Uh, seventh is launch. So we talk a lot about like, how are you actually going to get your infographic into the world? So you know, if it's a static one, a JPEG or PDF, the reason they're that long, narrow image that you're used to seeing online is because they fit blogs really well. So they're typically about 600 pixels wide because that's about the average blog width. Um, and often the goal of the client or anybody is, is eyeballs, page views. So make it, launch it so that other people can take it, you know, embed code, social media buttons, share buttons, things like that. But if it's a video, you know, you need a video player. If it's an interactive, how's it, where's it going to be hosted? Where's it going to live? Uh, so all of that is important. And then the eighth step is just uh, promote it. So it's a lot of things by a lot of grassroots, you know, social media, reaching out to people who have followings. You know, one thing we've learned is that infographic success isn't based on like, did I make it to Mashable or not? But like, who's the audience and did you find them? So we did one about towel day, which is a thing uh, for Douglas Adams. Uh, Douglas Adams fans. The author. Yeah, yeah, sure. And that one just blew up, like in its own kind of niche of the internet. But, um, you know, it was on like 
I fucking love science Facebook page got 14,000 shares in 48 hours. Um, you know, so you have, you know, I would say an infographic isn't just based on the success of, of, of how big the audience is, but how much passion that audience has. Yeah. Well, Douglas, I mean, I, I'm a fan of Douglas Adamsberg actually. And so I can imagine it's a pretty passionate audience. Is there, this may be a, a, an impossible question, but is there a, a favorite couple infographics that you guys have created that you thought were just awesome? Hmm. Um, <laughs> the first one we did two years ago with Major League Baseball uh, on opening day of, I guess it would have been 2013. Uh, that one was exciting. Personally, I'm a big baseball fan. Minnesota, Minnesota Twins are my team. and uh, I live in South Dakota. So that was just kind of like a, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. And this is like the closest I'll probably ever get. Uh, <laughs> So that was kind of cool. Um, we did a really fun one last fall for the 9-11 Memorial Museum, which is an interactive. Uh, so you scroll through it and you see, um, you can watch videos, you can hear audio, little short podcasts from people who were there, you know, on September 11th. The data kind of changes. There's some parallax elements as you scroll through. That was really both challenging, but also very rewarding, especially considering the content. Um, so those are a couple of highlights, I would say. Okay, that's pretty cool. So, all right, let's get into some of the the, the John Labs stuff. Sure. Okay. So you you've always sort of been into productivity on a personal level, anyway, right? And what are some of your big wins that you found in terms of like a productivity strategy? You know, some people you know morning routines or uh, shutting off email, whatever. Like, what's what's some of your big ones? Yeah. So I think the one that I probably write about the most or get asked about the most is a little thing I created called my eight for the day. Um, and basically it is my morning routine of setting my eight priorities. So, uh, I got it originally from a story I read about Ivy Lee, who was this productivity consultant in the early 1900s and worked with Charles Schwab, who at the time was president of Bethlehem steel. And they had, uh, Charles hired Ivy to come in. Ivy's like, what, you know, or Charles asked him, what, what's it going to cost? He said, let me do my work. And then you tell me what you think it's worth afterward. And he basically went on the manufacturing line and met individually one-on-one with every employee and said, I want you to get up in the morning before you come to work to write down like the three most important things you have to get done that day. Uh, and they were like, oh, that's it? Okay. So they started it. And of course, the story goes, they like doubled productivity and Bethlehem Steel took off. And uh, Schwab wrote him a check for 35000 which in the early 1900s, you know, I don't know what that is now, but it seems like a lot of money. Uh, so that I heard that story and it really intrigued me and, and I struggle with like, you know, running a company, doing my own personal like blogging, uh, some stuff I'm involved in more here in the community in Sioux Falls and I just priorities were tough for me. So I, I kind of expanded that to eight and the goal was if I can't get eight things done in my targeted kind of eight hour day, then I'm obviously not doing the right stuff. And so what I do is Monday through Friday, I write kind of six professional goals, two personal goals. On Saturday, I flipped that ratio, six per, per personal, two professional, which could be, uh, you know, cook, cook dinner for my wife, you know, go for a run, clean my, clean my room, whatever it might be. Uh, sound like a 16-year-old kid, clean my room. Uh, and then Sunday, you know, no list on Sunday, just take a break. And that has seemed really resonated to the point where I actually just launched an actual notebook around that concept where it's designed with the colors so it's six and two. And then on Saturdays it flips. And, um, so that one has been fun. Uh, and then, you know, people always like apps for me, like mailbox has been a, has been a, a lifesaver. Um, 
it's just for me particularly, like I get caught an inbox in my inbox a lot and that's a big part of my day is email. Um, so snoozing things and getting them out of the way until I really need them has been really, really good. So what does your team look like? Cause you have a pretty big team. Yeah. So we're 17 at Lemonly. Uh, we have, uh, let's see, 13 based here in our Sioux Falls headquarters. Uh, and then we have four remote folks. So we have, let's see, Vancouver, Idaho, and Miami, uh, four people across those three locations. So yeah, we have a little bit of time zone issues. Uh, and how do you all communicate? So we're big Slack users. Okay, Uh, cool. We started on Skype for a long time and as a productivity nerd, I knew how slow and heavy it was as a program. I mean, Skype is great. You know, we're doing this interview on Skype, but, uh, we were using it for chat, which really isn't what it's meant to be. And so, at least not the core feature. And so we tried to do hip chat. We tried some other things and it just, I've learned, even though we're still a small team, like you have to kind of let the culture kind of see what sticks and what they enjoy. And we was getting a lot of pushback to those other services. We started Slack and it just, it just clicked and everyone really liked it and everyone jumped on. They were ditching Skype. Um, they loved the fact that you could share animated GIFs. Uh, and yeah, so that's what we use. So, and, and how, uh, I mean, you sort of said this, but sort of how are you using it really, like, are you using the tagging function? Like, because Slack is a really interesting app to me. I don't have a lot of personal use for it because sure. of the way my team works, but I recommend it a lot, actually. So I'm just curious, like, are there tricks or, you know, tips that you found that Slack yeah, works really well I would say we're still probably using, it's a pretty robust tool, and we're maybe using 25% of it type of deal. But, um yeah, so we have a lot of smaller, like smaller uh, Slack groups, uh, as they call it. So kind of like the project manager group. So we have where we can t- discuss clients or timelines um, within our only, you know, only the people that kind of need to know. Uh, we have a head, like an HQ, which is great for the 13 of us when we're like, hey, I'm ordering lunch today. Who wants stuff? Um, you know, it seems minute, minute, but like it, we don't need to bother the remote folks with that type of stuff. So. We have both kind of smaller groups. We do sync it to Google Docs. We're a big uh, Docs company just because, you know, when we have people in different locations, you never want to have that. Are we all looking at the same version type of deal? So, um, yeah, there's some good integrations we use with Slack. And, yeah, I just find it to be, like, the appropriate amount of um, connectedness so everyone feels like they're really a part of the team, even though we have remote folks, without being over the top and annoying or obtrusive. So, so the, okay, so that that's that's a great use of it. And then, what about any sort of automations or or like? Well, you have a remote team, so do you guys have virtual assistants at all? Virtual assistants, yeah. Or like, do you personally use a virtual assistant? I've experimented a little bit. Uh, I should probably learn from a pro like you. I haven't had great experience. Um, we do have <laughs> we had a recent hire now, uh, an office coordinator at Lemonly, who's here in the H- HQ who she really helps with like paperwork, contracts, scanning, signing, uh, running to the bank, things like that. That's been a nice lift off my shoulders for a lot of those things. It takes a long time, I think, as an entrepreneur, founder, CEO, to realize the value of your time and to kind of respect that. You know, you think, I'm actually probably the one in the company who's really not billable because I work on, you know, business development and more HR kind of company growth strategy things. So I'm really not making the company money, but realizing, (laughs) you know, spending my time going to the bank is not the best use of my time. Right. So I think just understanding, you know, placing yourself on a, on an hourly rate and thinking, 
could I pay someone to do this cheaper? Um, so that, that's been big. Uh, we use Basecamp as our other kind of core tool as far as project management. Um, so everyone's uploading files there and we're on the same page as far as calendars and feedback. That's great. So, uh, what about like morning routine or like, you know, I know you said the Monday through Friday thing, but what about like your morning routine or do you have one? Yeah, I try to, um, the one I'm trying to work on this year is really adapting, um, uh, like some meditation or some type of, um, time for reflection. You know, I, uh, anyone probably in our productivity space either likes or at least follows what Tim Ferriss is doing. And, you know, I was listening to his podcast and so one of the questions I think on episode 50 something was, you know, what's the one thing, if you had to pick one thing across your first 50 guests that you see as a common thread or something that they all do because they're all successful people. And he said like meditation or sometime, some type of self-reflection or time away to kind of disconnect. So I think, that's been one I've been trying to really adapt, but in general morning, um, wake up, drink a glass of water, do some stretching. Uh, the one big one that I really recommend is, uh, last, last Christmas I asked for alarm clock like a year ago. Uh, and it's like the least sexy thing to ever ask for for Christmas is an alarm clock. Uh, but I got a nice like Phillips alarm clock where it kind of like simulates the sun, you know, like 20, 30 minutes before your actual. Yeah, time. sure. Okay. And that's been huge for me because it, it got my phone out of the bedroom, right? So different room, I charge it, I get it away. Uh, and because I found like the alarm would go off, you're struggling, whatever you can to like shut it off or snooze it. And then you're in bed, like checking Twitter or looking at emails or, you know, what did, what did my friends post on Instagram? Like, and I found that by the time you get to the shower, you're already like your brain's cut up in seven different pieces and go in seven different directions. Um, so I think that's really important to give yourself at least 30 minutes. I recommend an hour before you even dive into email or looking at your phone, um, to give yourself that morning preparation to make it a great day. Cool. So what, what are you sort what are you excited about for the future of Lemonly or maybe another project that you got working on? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think what's interesting about Lemonly, we're a really kind of, uh, niche kind of focused, um, agency, which I would say as an entrepreneurial lesson was a great payoff. You know, we're three and a half years old. We're working with some of the top brands in the world. And I think that was because we embraced saying no and really saying, this is what we do, but, but we do this, you know, as one of the best in the world. Um, so really choosing our niche and kind of carving that out. So we accelerated growth and kind of credibility quickly, but that also leaves us a little vulnerable. So like what's coming next, like what's, you know, I think infographics are here to stay, but they may evolve. So it's, it's interactive. Maybe it's more all of it together. You know, we're really looking at how did something like the serial podcast change the way people want to consume media or, you know, this word storytelling is a buzzword that gets thrown around quite a bit. So what does that look like in 2015 and beyond? And so we're considering kind of some multi, like all of it kind of pushed together in one. So maybe some videos some podcasts some real journal, hardcore journalism, storytelling infographics. Um, so that's something we're kind of considering. And then, yeah, more on the personal side, just continuing to write, uh, I write a, probably a weekly newsletter, maybe twice a week, sometimes called point letter. You can find that at pointletter.com. Very just focused productivity based. And then just this couple of weeks ago, I actually launched that notebook. So if you go for eight, eight for the day, the number eight, you can actually get the notebook yourself if you want to um, and, and try that process out. 
Oh, that's great. Cool. Um, okay, so the last question I always like to ask on these interviews, and you've already given quite a few tips and things, but uh, I'm going to push you for three more. So what are three <laughs> top tips for people to be more effective? Um, okay, let's see. I'll do a little summary, but I'll try to pick my, pop, my top tips. Um, the big, I guess these are the big lessons I've learned in uh, my almost six years of being an entrepreneur now and trying to focus on my productivity. But uh, number one, I'd say, is choosing the people around you that you want to work with. So you're going to be more effective if you're working with the right people. Um, I think that's really big. What I've learned from side projects, from doing some community involvement, uh, from hiring and building our own team. Like you're going to be more productive when you're working with the right people. If you're dreading making a phone call or you don't want to go to that meeting because you feel like you can't quite be honest with that person, like that's really going to set you back and you're not going to be productive and teams aren't going to move in the right direction. Um, so choosing the people you're, who you surround yourself with. I know that we live in a world where you can work individually and that's awesome, but eventually whatever you're working on, it's going to involve other people. And so make sure you got the right people around you. Um, the second tip I would think is, is say no. Um, that kind of whole like recognizing the value of your time and and not being afraid to say no. I think I was blaming on my Midwestern upbringing uh, here in South Dakota. Like we're really bad at saying no, and we've, we're going to hurt someone's feelings, or you know that we aren't uh, uh, you know doing the right thing. We got to help everyone out. But learning to embrace that word, you know, and then the best way I like to say it is by saying no today, you can say yes tomorrow to something that's more exciting and more in your up your alley and more, you know, to the, to the work you want to do really your body of work, thinking about your legacy. Um, so loosely use that word and, and not be afraid to do it. Um, and the third, the third thing I would say is, uh, is really planning like that, that morning routine and, and really planning your day and, and setting yourself up for success. I think we live in a world just littered with distractions and things that are competing for our attention. You know, that whole goldfish thing. Yes. Uh, so I think uh, you sticking to your guns on kind of what your plan is. And, and with all these, I think that the challenge of being a, someone like yourself or a person who spends time thinking about productivity and, and efficiency is we don't, we don't win every day, right? We don't, like, we don't reach the pinnacle like, of becoming the most effective, the most productive person. And you'd say that, Tim Ferriss would say that, like anybody would say that. And I think recognizing it's just it's the journey versus the destination type of thing right like we know we're going to be more successful more productive if we if we try to if we think about it but don't get down on yourself right so if you're doing my eight for the day and you get two out of eight like that's okay tomorrow's a new day and a new opportunity so those are my tips those are awesome well thank you so john uh, you you gave a couple urls about your stuff but where's the best place for people to find out uh even more about you just listen. We're going to have this all in the show notes anyway, but I'd like to yeah, sure. Um, just a, I mean, personal website. I have just johntmeyer.com. Uh, you can check out lemonly at lemonly.com. Uh, I'm probably most active on Twitter. So if you want to reach out, uh, hit me up at John T. Meyer. I'll definitely respond quickly. So awesome. Well, John, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. And everyone's got to check out lemonly and see some great infographics. Thanks, Ari. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's Ari again. Thanks for listening to today's show. As I promised at the beginning of the show, I am going to tell you more about the Less Doing Live event in New York City from May 1st through 3rd. Then I will tell you how you can earn a free copy of the Less Doing More Living book. Less Doing Live is an event I am putting on with Business Research Group in New York City. 
We've designed this event to give you and a small group of less doing fanatics a personal quality experience. We are limiting this event to 150 participants in Manhattan to make sure that I get a chance to meet and hang out with every one of you. Now here's why this event is different. You see, most business conferences are just a series of speeches on a stage where smart speakers get up and give you tons of great information. In fact, it's usually so much that you don't know what to do with it all. But at Less Doing, our community is all about taking action. So I have designed this event to make you take action. But at Less Doing, our community is all about taking action. So I have designed this event to make sure you do take action. Because the only way to make big changes in your life is to invest in yourself. And that's not only an investment of your money, because you can always earn more of that, but rather an investment of your time, which is something so precious because you can never get it back. So at this event, we're not just going to talk. On the first morning, Dave Asprey and I are going to share with you the latest cutting edge tips on how to hack your productivity and biohack your body. But then that afternoon, it's going to get really exciting when we break down into small groups and get you into workshops to solve your biggest problems in productivity. What are the workshops going to be? They'll be designed to help you tackle the fundamental problems that stop 99% of the world from realizing their full potential. Getting your email down to inbox zero and mastering your communications with the world or a scheduling class where you can learn how to automate your schedule to the point where you will have a calendar working for you or an outsourcing class where you can learn how to get rid of 95% of the things that you shouldn't be doing on a daily basis. We're also going to have a biohacking class that's going to include nutrition and help you master your body and your life. Which one of these classes should you attend? Well, that's where my Less Doing Certified Coaches come in. Before we even let you get to the event, you have to speak to one of our coaches so that we can talk to you and see if the event is right for you. That way we can make sure that we truly help you. So to get to the event, you just need to enter your email and then register to speak to one of our Less Doing Certified Coaches in a free 45-minute coaching call where you will learn the one area of your life that you need the most help with and will get the most impact out of. Now, as a special gift to you for joining this free coaching call, I want to recognize your commitment to your productivity by giving you a free copy of the book, Less Doing, More Living. Thanks for listening.